Okay. There it is. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 3. And let me tell you just how much we are grateful for all of you, for Andrew and Ashley, for bringing us here and allowing us to labor alongside all of you. Love you very much. Psalm 3. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Salah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. How many of you at some time in your lives have had to face the consequences of your own sin? That's a rhetorical question. Please do not raise your hand. You have surrendered to some temptation in your life, or you've been confronted with some sinful tendency in your own heart or on your own tongue. Gossiping, anger, jealousy, bitterness, resentment, sarcasm and criticism irresponsibility in your finances and the sin has now borne its awful fruit resulting in financial distress estranged relationships with sons and daughters a broken marriage or friendship even illness or physical challenges and like the psalmist you see your life as being overwhelmed by trouble and the really sad and frustrating part is that the trouble is mainly of your own making The sin may have been undiscovered for weeks or months or even years, but suddenly it comes raging into the center of your life like a tropical storm that suddenly swirls up into a Category 4 and comes onto shore. In what seems like just an instant, your sin and its consequences come due for payment, and you are overwhelmed. Now, being overwhelmed is a common trouble described in the Scriptures In fact, the principal metaphor that Scripture uses to describe humanity is sheep. Isn't that funny? You and I think we're superheroes, but the Bible describes us as sheep. Philip Keller, in his wonderful book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, just a treasure of a book. He describes the characteristics of a sheep. Listen to these. They are prone to wander off on their own, other times following the herd into dangerous places, easily distracted, subject to falling over and being cast down and unable to rise without help. Sound familiar? (laughs) They can be overwhelmed by the simplest challenges and are only comforted by the touch and the voice and sometimes the staff of the shepherd. The prophet Isaiah captures this image perfectly in Isaiah 53 when he writes this, All we like sheep have gone astray, every one to his own way. 
David himself had gone astray in his illicit relationship with Bathsheba and his arranged murder of Uriah, her husband. And now, years later, the bitter fruit of that sin has come to pass, Absalom's rebellion. And so we come to the question that our text addresses this morning. Can I really trust God in times of trouble? And even more specifically, listen to this, church. Can I trust God even when I've sinned against him? That's the question our text addresses. This is the question that David puts forth to the Lord, and he answers in his own psalm. Now let's get our bearings here just for a moment. Let's look at the superscript of our passage. Look with me here at Psalm 3. It writes, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. The sin of David with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 brought this judgment from God, delivered through Nathan the prophet, which is described in chapter 12. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And in 2 Samuel 15, the promised punishment is brought to fruition. Absalom's insurrection causes David to flee from Jerusalem for his very life. He has taken those most loyal with him, but there are thousands across Israel who have sided with Absalom. And they will pursue David into the wilderness. And in the midst of that chaotic, desperate situation, prompted by his own sin, David brings this lament to God. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes, it says here. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation, no deliverance for him in God. Salah. Our own troubles seem to manifest this way, can't they? While the insurrection of Absalom took years to unfold, they seemed to cascade into a moment, into an overwhelming flood of trouble for David. And you and I have and will experience situations like this that cascade into seemingly impossible situations that leave us open to peril, prone to wander, leaving us cast down and unable to rise on our own. The consequences of our sin can run hard and deep, leaving us wearied and forsaken and in desperate need of a shepherd. But see how our gracious God responds to our troubles. The Gospel of Matthew, Gospel writer Matthew, describes the heart of Jesus as he cared for those who, the crowds, you remember the crowds who were following him in Matthew chapter 9? Described as he, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And for those times when we are overwhelmed with the consequences of our sin or the sins of others, our wonderful, merciful God has caused psalms like this to be preserved through the ages for his people. As Paul writes in Romans 15, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Beloved, 
I mentioned earlier the profound question raised by the psalmist. Can we really trust God when we're in trouble? And can we still trust him even when we've sinned against him and the trouble is our own fault? And the answer is revealed in this great truth that our troubles will be transformed to praise as we express our trust and confidence in God. Now, our passage provides us with four steps to sustain us in times of trouble. When faced with overwhelming trouble, first, we bring our complaint to God, number one. Number two, we rehearse our trust in God. Number three, we call on God to take action. And number four, we praise God for his deliverance. Let's begin with number one, our first step. When faced with overwhelming trouble, we bring our complaint to God. We've looked at our first two verses already. David is communicating in explicit language the anguish of being overwhelmed by his adversaries. Listen to the language that he writes. Many are my foes. Many rise against me. Many say of my soul. He's speaking of a growing number of antagonists assembling against him and taunting him that God has abandoned him. They are literally rising up against him, and his soul is in anguish. You recall the taunts of a man named Shimei in 2 Samuel. He was a relative of King Saul, and as David was fleeing through from Jerusalem, he was passing through a little town called Bahorim, fleeing from Jerusalem and Absalom. The text in 2 Samuel 16 tells us that Shimei came out. He came out, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of David as they passed by. Now, how's that for a vote of no confidence? But David's turmoil isn't merely that this guy is cursing and throwing stones at him and his entourage. No, he's being pursued by his own son, whom he raised from an infant. This is more than an insurrection or an attack by an adversary. This is a betrayal by his own flesh and blood. Yet when one of David's lieutenants volunteered to decapitate the cursing Benjaminite, David did not respond to those insults or to the suggestion of his lieutenant. Instead, he said this, listen to this. If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? Behold, my own son seeks my life How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse? It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. David's response reflects his trust in God's sovereignty. David brought his complaint to God and he left it there. Notice he doesn't stifle his complaint, though. He laments his situation But he brings it to the attention of the only one who can help him, the God who had made covenant with him. The Lord Jesus knew intimately what it was like to have many rise up against him, didn't he? The Apostle John tells us that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They even rejected him as king. We have no king but Caesar, they cried. You remember that at the trial in front of Pontius Pilate. Then they taunted him on the cross. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now. 
Their mocking echoes the psalmist's complaint. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Beloved, when we face what the Puritans like to call a hard providence, let's never think that we cannot approach our great God and Savior and pour out our hearts to him. Let us remember that not only is God the source of our comfort in times of trouble, rather, he is the one who sovereignly permitted the troubles in the first place. Amen. And he intends to demonstrate his faithfulness to the utmost as he accomplishes his own ends for his glory and for our good. His promise to David in his covenant with him, recorded in 2 Samuel 7, was that his steadfast love would never depart from David or from his descendants. And as we are the children of Abraham by faith and heirs of the kingdom of David through Christ, those promises extend to us as well and to you. Now let me offer a couple of words here. First, a word of warning against something called stoicism. You all familiar with the word of stoicism? And that's where it's defined as the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings and without complaint. Now, in my generation, that means Clint Eastwood. Okay, suck it up. Deal, do justice as you need to do. I'm not sure who the new guy is. I don't think it's Brad Pitt. <laughs> but there's somebody in your mind that, that just endures hardship. He's going to grit it through. He's going to whatever he's going to do. But we should remember that that's not what we're called for. While we pour out our hearts to God, we are not exempt from the one another's that we heard described today, this morning from Mark. We're not, we're not exempt from those one another's. The apostle in his letter to the Galatians instructs the believers there to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Each of you, as covenant members of the visible church, have been placed into the body of Christ as manifested in this local church to a really a wonderful degree. You've been given pastors and teachers, elders and older saints, brothers and sisters in the Lord who are here to help you carry your burdens as you are here to help carry theirs. In these times of difficulty, we call on one another for prayer encouragement, wisdom and counsel, sometimes a hot meal or even an evening with someone else's kids. That was my first word. My second word of warning is this. It's to avoid bringing our troubles to those who cannot possibly help us and and many times could care less about our troubles. Now, honestly, I'm speaking here of social media. I'm speaking of the airing of grievances on Facebook and Instagram. And we all know people whose profile pages are filled with one calamity after another. Amen. I tend to think that there's little else other than seeking attention and draw sympathy. But the sad fact is that very few people on Facebook, even your friends, really care about your troubles. And many are sinfully rejoicing that you have them. When faced with overwhelming troubles, our first step is to bring our complaints to God. Our second step is to rehearse our trust in God. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, 
my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Salah. Rather than permit the taunts of his enemies to cause him to despair, David rehearses God's prior deliverances back to God. He reminds God of what he has done for David in the past. He describes God in military terms. He says, my shield. Now, in other places, the same Hebrew word is meant to deliver. It means to deliver something, as in Genesis 14, when Melchizedek comes to Abram and blesses him and says, Blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Now, this is what a shield does. If you know what, you, how many of you know who Captain America is? You know what the shield does? It delivers him from his adversaries in that moment. It delivers us from the assaults of our immediate enemies. He describes God in spiritual terms. He calls him my glory. Now, this is not to imply that David has any of his own glory, but that David claims to glory in God who delivers him. He describes God in heavenly terms. He calls him the lifter of my head or the one who lifts my head. Elsewhere, the Hebrew uses the same word to describe the act of being exalted. Be still, it says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You may recall the story of Joseph in the prison when Pharaoh lifted the head of the cupbearer who was in prison with Joseph and restored him to his position. Lifting the, head, lifting the head is the act of a sovereign, a supreme ruler. And David attributes this action to his Lord and to his God. Not only does David describe God's past deliverances, but he also vocalizes his current distress and God's immediate response in verse 4. Look with me there. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Notice the emphasis on David's voice. He said, I cried aloud. Your translation might read, he cried aloud to the Lord with his voice. Now, this wasn't merely an internal dialogue, but an emergency alarm. This was a 911 call to God. When you call 911, you don't just hold the phone, do you? You speak. You say something. You may speak in panic or in relative calm, but you're not silent. You're speaking with the emergency dispatcher, detailing the circumstances of the situation and pleading for assistance. And what does the 911 operator do? She hang up. Thanks for your call. We'll be there when we can. That's not what they do at all, is it? She stays on the line with you until help arrives. That's their job. And that's just what happens here, doesn't it? Listen to the verse again. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Do you hear that, beloved? Our God who reigns in glory answered his son David from the throne. There's nothing in the context or grammar that indicates a delay, a lengthy, deliberate pause. David writes, he answered me. The Lord Jesus himself in his prayer at Gethsemane rehearsed his trust in God in the midst of his anguish. Luke says of Jesus in Gethsemane, being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground to the ground. 
Father, he said, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And what's the gospel writer tell us next? That an angel from heaven appeared, strengthening him. Even our Savior, in his humanity, demonstrated his trust in his Father. And his Father responded immediately with help for his beloved Son. You may recall the arrival of Gabriel to speak to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, he told Daniel that from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, beloved. Your prayers are heard, church, and there is no delay. No delay for our Savior Christ Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Now, your prayers are not backed up in some email spam folder. Do you ever feel that way? They haven't been lost by the post office because the stamp fell off. (coughs) Excuse me. Instead, you have a great high priest interceding for you at the throne of grace because he is God. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father who loved us and so sent his son to bear our sins in his body on the cross to die in our place. We can see the consequences of David hearing from God in verse 5. Look with me there. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now we should understand the sequence that the psalmist is giving here. David, in his turmoil of spirit, cried out with a loud voice to God. God answered him, and David laid his weary head down on his pillow and he fell fast asleep. He woke, the, he woke up the following morning refreshed. Why? For the Lord, he said, sustained me. The verb implies a helping, a comforting, a caring for. How many of us have comforted our own children who've fallen off a swing? She's torn her knee up or a baby with a favor who just can't seem to get to sleep or to calm down. They come to us crying, and we we wrap them up in our arms. We tend to their little wounds, and we hold them until they fall asleep. Or perhaps you and your spouse are going through a difficult financial time. The stress of too many bills and not enough money wears on your nerves, and small things begin to fray your relationship. The arguments usually boil over at night, don't they? when you're most fatigued and right as you're getting ready for bed. Tense and anxious, you try to get some sleep, but instead you spend the night angry and hurt, rolling around like an alligator, wrestling with his dinner. Money problems, health problems, kid problems, work problems, marriage problems. There is no shortage of trouble that can overwhelm us, distract us, preoccupy us, rob us, of our peace and our joy. Yet David, fleeing from his own son through the wilderness, finds a place of rest and relaxation and wakes up refreshed. How did he do that? We find clear direction from the apostles Paul and Peter, don't we? Paul instructs the church at Philippi not not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
The Apostle Peter instructs us to cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. This was the reason David could lay down and sleep and awake refreshed. He'd made his petitions known to God, had cast his cares upon him, and the peace of God which surpassed all understanding, even in the midst of his anguish, calmed his troubled heart and soothed his fears and worries. That was how God answered David's prayer. And beloved, these are the same promises to you who are in Christ Jesus. Do you need an answer from the Lord? Look to your Bibles. Appropriate those pages of promises as your own. Apprehend these precious truths and lay your weary head to rest. Rehearse your trust in God. See him as your shield and your deliverer, as your glory, as the one who lifts your head to exalt you in due season. Demonstrate your trust in God by calling out to him and hearing from him through the scriptures. Then lay your weary head down and allow the Lord to comfort you that you might renew your strength and mount up with wings like eagles. Look with me at verse 6 and see the confidence with which David awakens the following morning. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around You see, the same many who pursued David and taunted him in verses 1 and 2, he now fears no more. He's no longer overwhelmed. He's no longer intimidated by the supposed strength of his enemies. His problems have resumed their, from out here, they've resumed their true proportions. In light of the overwhelming power and sovereignty of David's God and our God. When faced with overwhelming troubles, we bring our complaint to God. We rehearse our trust in God. And third, we call on God to take action. In verse 7, David now calls on the Lord to come to his defense against all his enemies. Look with me there. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. As David's enemies rose up against him in verse 1, so now David calls on God to rise up against them. As his enemies taunted David by saying that there was no salvation, no deliverance for him and God, that God had abandoned him, David now calls on God to deliver him from his enemies and to demonstrate his faithfulness to David in full view of his enemies. Now look at the second verse, second half of verse 7. It requires a little bit of explanation. The ESV reads like this, For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Some of your Bibles may translate the verbs as imperatives or commands. Strike all my enemies. Break the teeth of the wicked. One translation reads, Thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. I love that. It sounds like Thor, doesn't it? But the Hebrew seems to reflect the certainty of what follows it. Thus, a better reading might be this. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Indeed, you will certainly strike all my enemies on the jaw. You will certainly break the teeth of the wicked. In other words, Lord, do to my enemies now as you have done to my enemies in the past. You have always been faithful to deliver your servant. Deliver me again, O God. 
David remembered how God had vanquished Saul's army and the Philistines, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Syrians. How God had indeed smitten all those who stood in the way of God's plan to install David on the throne. And David, in fact, did return to Jerusalem after the death of Absalom and the defeat of his army. In 2 Samuel 19, David is restored to the throne and reestablished in his kingship in full view of those who had taunted him. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, describes Christ's victory over death and the devil in military language. He says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. Beloved, don't fall into the sin of unbelief. Don't ever imagine that your God has abandoned you, forsaken you, or somehow left you on your own. That God in his mercy will never leave you nor forsake you. He has delivered you, comforted you, and saved you from a thousand snares and traps that the enemy of God and the enemy of your soul has laid for you. You older saints have experienced God's deliverances in so many ways. You look back on his faithfulness, and you are strengthened in your faith. No, you don't ask this time, will God be faithful this time? No, now you say this, how will God be faithful this time? The addition of that one little adverb reflects the proving of your faith over a lifetime of trouble and deliverance. You younger saints have experienced God's salvation in different ways, and you look forward to his deliverances, and you are strengthened in your faith by the testimonies of older saints, men and women who walk alongside you through the dark side, through the dark days of doubt and distress. And the Lord is faithful. He will deliver you time and time again as part of his covenant with you. Beloved, some of our troubles, in fact, many of our troubles, are indeed of our own making. There are consequences for sin in every life, and David was certainly had reaped what he had sown. Yet he never placed himself beyond the loving care and devotion of his Savior. Don't imagine that you have only a part-time Savior, beloved. One who refuses to come to your aid because of your sin or your negligence. David may have been a man after God's own heart, but he was no less in need of a Savior than any blood-bought believer in this room. Some of you may have purchased something as is. You ever done that? You find it on Facebook Marketplace? I'll sell it to you for 200 bucks as is. I try to avoid those myself. Perhaps it's some furniture, a couch, a car perhaps, even a home. And you have no idea what you're getting into. And only later do you realize the significance of what as is really means. Yet your Savior, Christ Jesus, has purchased you as is. Knowing everything about you. He knows every impure thought, every idle word, every wicked deed you have or will ever do. And yet, he purchased you with his own blood anyway. 
as is. Have you fallen into the trap of thinking that your troubles are of your own making? And therefore Christ will leave you to sit in your distress alone? God forbid. Your Savior is always prepared to hear your cry and to answer you from the throne of grace. He is the good shepherd of your soul. And he will not leave you cast down in distress. Call on him to arise in your behalf, to save you and to deliver you. He is your God. One of my favorite 911 prayers is really quite simple. Oh God, make speed to save me. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. May you appropriate that prayer as your own in your darkest hours. When faced with overwhelming troubles, we bring our complaint to God. We rehearse our trust in God. We call on God to take action. And finally, we praise God for his deliverances. Listen to verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. You recall our initial question, can we really trust God in times of trouble? And can we trust him even when we've sinned against him? And recall our conclusion based on our text. Our problems will be transformed to praise as we express our trust and confidence in God. David's testimony now comes full circle. He refutes the lies of his enemies who taunted him in verse 2 by saying that there was no salvation, no deliverance for him from God. Instead, he praises the Lord by professing that his rescuer is indeed God and that the same God has sealed his blessing and pledged his favor on his people. Jesus himself is the proof of our salvation, our deliverance from death, when God raised him from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. Beloved, we do not have a halfway salvation, and we do not have a part-time Savior. Christ has purchased all of you in your humanity, as is And his spirit will not rest until you are are conformed fully to his likeness to some extent in this life and to perfect holiness in the next. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when circumstances, troubles, and distress seek to overwhelm you, look to your Savior. Bring your complaints to the shepherd of your soul. Rehearse your trust in God and his saving grace. Call on his name to take action on your behalf. And look to his word for comfort, and you will indeed praise him for his glorious deliverances, past, present, and future. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, when support me in the whelming flood, when all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you have called us to yourself and you have caused us to cry out to you in the midst of overwhelming troubles in this life. Your word assures us that you hear our cries for help Your arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Your ear is not dull that it cannot hear. You who did not spare your own son, your only son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will you not then graciously give us all things? Arise, O Lord, save us, O God. Indeed, you have smitten our enemies and broken the teeth of the wicked. May your salvation and your blessing be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.